to the Counter Press Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Kinsey, and with me on top of Josh Kacha tonight is public enemy number one on LAFC Twitter, Vince LaRosa. Vince, how are you, my friend? Uh, too scared to check the Reddit, so I might be public <laughs> enemy number one on Reddit and Twitter. No, I, I think I'm doing okay, but yeah, there's a lot of people lately heated with some of my, I, what I thought were not fire takes. I thought I was just being logical, but I guess, I, I guess I'm firing people up, so uh happy that you guys were willing to to take on the negativity that i bring uh but hopefully we can turn change some minds maybe in this podcast i don't know no i that's that's kind of the point here is uh you know just to i think oftentimes vince you are the one doing the interviewing and i feel like it's time for somebody to interview you and, and get your thoughts and let you speak your mind again we taught we joked about it off air but our platform is significantly smaller than yours but uh it is yours for the night my friend and uh We'll see how many hearts and minds we can win. Josh, how are you tonight? Doing good, man. I mean, obviously, there we're still coming off the the thrill of that crazy game on Sunday. Yes, right? and um, I I feel like I apparently picked the right woman to marry because she wanted was all down to just sit there on Sunday and just watch that game the, all evening. So I was all about it. And so, now, has, yeah. she, has she watched a whole lot of U.S. soccer? My wife doesn't watch soccer, and she sat down and watched a lot of that game, and she so, was into it. So prior to the Colorado game, she had never watched the whole soccer game. I took her to watch the, the LAFC Colorado game. She Detroit. fell in love with it because it was just a great game and it was the, the atmosphere was awesome. Um, outside of me not getting free hot dogs, which I'm still heated about, um, <laughs> in in my in the section we picked, I, I watched Max's video and he told me I was going to get free hot dogs if I bought seats there, and it didn't happen. I was a little disappointed, but <laughs> um, never listen to Max. That was your yeah, first mistake. I know. But then, um, but yeah, then it kind of carried over into we watched the end, the the shootout of the Colombia Mexico game, just randomly okay. that the, the the day on the Friday before or whatever or Thursday, and then when that Sunday rolled around, uh, Colombia it was the not Colombia Costa Rica Mexico in the semifinal, Rica, yeah, yeah, and then come you know Sunday she's like, hey, are we gonna watch the final? I'm like, yes. And then turn out to be the perfect game to watch on TV comparatively to watching the LAFC game live. So it was great. You know, so. Yeah, I feel like if you were a casual supporter of U.S. soccer and you saw that game, you are you are in with this young group at this point, mm-hmm. even after, you know, failing to make the Olympics and all that. Vince, what do you think of, uh, of the of the game? I, I fully agree with you. If you're casual, that was the game for you. Right. If you're a diehard soccer person. Not not so much. Uh, it was a little painful. <laughs> yeah, I talked to some people. You know, on our on our one ten football show, we have some younger um, castmates that are with me, and they're like, "This is the best final I've ever seen." And all I could write back was, "You need to watch more finals because um, <laughs> yeah. this is not the best final you've ever seen." Um, there was not much football per se. I mean, the the chances that teams were uh, stringing together more than a couple passes in the in the offensive third was very low. Uh, but when it came to storylines. And just the raw passion and the craziness and all the things that like it doesn't happen in in, in soccer. And I, and I, you know I'm not fully on board with it. Obviously, like don't throw things at players ever. Of course, um, of course. But for people to watch that and just be like, is this what happens? You're like, this is what a real rivalry is. This is the craziness. Yeah. I will say this. Can I? Can I? I, I don't know what. I, again, you. I'm supposed to be the one kind of answering some of the questions. But can I throw this out to you? What was the big deal about? Christian Pulisic uh, shushing the Mexico fans. I, to me, I thought that was something special because it, yeah. this is the one part of the world where you can have a rivalry with that much passion and actually have, 
yes, Mexico fans in there with United States fans. I, I thought that that was great, but people seem to be dunking on him for that, and I didn't I didn't understand it. I think it's I think it's sour grapes, man. I think it's he showed him up, and that's the way that's the way to get back, right? It's just like oh, imagine imagine shushing a crowd, you know, like a home crowd. It's like, it, but I think I think your point, Vince, is is a hundred percent correct in that. Like American soccer is very unique in the fact that, like they're always outnumbered. Like the men's team is always outnumbered, no matter almost where they play. Costa Rica outnumbered them in in New Jersey at Red Bull Stadium. Like they can't play in Miami. They they can't play. It's always hostile, mm-hmm. right? And so to see to see the team kind of embrace that almost as an identity, where it's just yeah, we're the underdog, even when we play in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and that, like, to me, that's that's the galvanizing moment that they needed um, to to bond as a as a young team. And for me, uh, a, a firm Greg Berhalter critic because of the things that you mentioned. Right, there's not a whole lot of football going on, and you start in this three man back line, and then all of a sudden it's a four man back line, like ten minutes in, and uh, Kellen Acosta's playing left back to end it because Tim Ream is getting scorched by Diego. Like it was just it was madness. It was just a tactical mess, um, but. After so, the moment for me was when Weston McKenney scores his his equalizer in like the 85th minute or whatever, and he and he beelined straight to Greg, and I was like, "All right, this is it. Like this team, this team will go to bat for this man." And sorry for the mixed sports metaphor there. Uh, no, that, I, I do know, it all the time. I say like they Greg, will, that's like a they home will, run. They will fight for that man. So, yeah. you know, I tactical tactical disagreements aside. Uh, this is the man that's gonna that's gonna lead us for now. So, um, anyway, I, that's kind of a rambling answer to. Uh, I think I think they should embrace the underdog nature, embrace how weird it is for the U.S. men's national team to play at home, outnumbered all the time, and yeah, that it's it's just sour grapes from L Tree fans. Well, and I know I, I mean I think a lot of it too is maybe people want to see U.S. soccer fail, like it's, it's yes. a failure of U.S. soccer. And yes, I, I get it in some respects. If U.S. soccer maybe is as good as everyone thinks they are, that that we're 100% selling out that building with all red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. However, don't underestimate how well the Mexico fans travel. They always have. They always yeah. will. They will find a way into the building, and God love them for it because, again, it creates just such an atmosphere, and I think that's what we all loved, even from our couches. Yeah. No, I, I love it. One of uh, There were a couple moments uh, after the – during that Costa Rica uh, – semifinal with Mexico and there were LAFC fans just haranguing Memo Ochoa. And it's like, okay, I don't like Memo Ochoa, of course, because I'm a I'm a US men's national team fan, right? And I saw what he did to Atuesta to get him sent off. And it was like this moment where El Tree supporters and like it was like LAFC was bigger than both of us. And I I like that. I feel bad for like the the El Tree fans that are also part of this club that that we that we are. Um, for having to watch their team lose like that after they just they they barnstormed uh, the U.S. So uh, I, I I like that. I like that it's unique. But mm-hmm. anyway, Josh, it looks like you want to jump in there. No, I mean, your only true home game is Columbus, right? And technically, yeah. I think Portland, but that's because no one wants to play on turf. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think Portland would be good, but yeah, turf, Seattle maybe too, but. Um, but yeah. in terms of like what actual is with home Portland advantage? calling themselves Soccer City USA and like we, nobody can play there because it's on turf. Come on, guys, get it together. All right. Yeah. Well, um, anyway, I, I think we got it out. 
Uh, I, I do agree. I, I think men and blazers had it really well. They, they talked about like, this was not football. This was like some kind of like almost football mixed with WWE and just a, just an absolute spectacle. Um, mm-hmm. anyway. I mean, finals can be that way. You know, you get, you yeah. get there. It's all about winning the final. That's what we all yeah. would have said, man, if they played slick um, and they lost three to one, God, imagine the hammering that, that Greg would have gotten. So, um, yeah. you know, fi- finals can, it, it, I, it's one of those things, and we'll get into this more with, with fan stuff, but fans just expect, you, you know, it's like it's a failure if you don't win in a final. But it's like, guys, the, the margins are so thin and their nerves, and these guys haven't played in a major game like this in, in over 12 months. For most of them, I know a lot of them played in Europe, but not all of them got to play in Champions League finals like, like some of our guys. So, it's just it's one of those things where like you just got to kind of throw your hands up and go whatever way you got it done, you got it yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the beauty of sports, right? You live on this razor's edge for ninety minutes, or in this case, one hundred and forty-four minutes, or however long the match actually went. Right. Um, and it can go either way. I mean, if it was just this passionless thing, then nobody would actually care. So, all right, Vince, let's inflame some passions here. Uh, where are we going first? Well, let's let's hear let's hear your take on on where LAFC is struggling the most. Um, that can be that can be personnel, it can be tactics, it can be uh, it can be injuries. If you if you want to talk about the injuries, which have obviously, uh, pardon the pun, but they, they, it's obviously hamstrung the team, right? Um, so you take it away. Just take however much time you need to kind of assess where we're at, and then we'll then we'll talk about how to get out. Yeah, I think. Injuries definitely have uh, have to be a part of this story, right? Because right out the gate, those injuries are, are ones that you never imagine. I mean, Diego Rossi is a guy that's been so fit for so long, and for him to not be ready for mm-hmm. the start of a season uh, is kind of incredible. It's it's it was kind kind of worrying um, to me because I I'd never known Diego. Diego's a guy that that goes hard, and, and that's one of his greatest characteristics in my mind is the fact that he's so resilient. Uh, he takes a lot of punishment. I know a lot of fans want to say that some of it is embellished. Yes. Uh, he's gotten better at that, though, I believe. I, yeah. Compared to his first year, uh, when literally any elbow and or hand was within a couple inches of his face and he would go flat to the ground, I think he's gotten a little bit better at that. My, um, so can I can I just put in a plug? When mm-hmm. he got Diego Chara sent off for his second yellow because he flicked him in the air as he ran by, that was the one time where I was like, go get him, Diego. That was Diego Rossi, that is. That, that was fantastic. I, yeah. That Of all dives, that that was my favorite. I Sorry. agree with you 100% because that because <laughs> Chara deserves double yellows in almost every single match he's ever been in, um, and he and I look I I like I like Chara for what he does I like the era of MLS that he came up in, uh, but man there's some tackles where you look at it and go how does this man do this and it's yeah. really just yeah. leaving the foot in, um, but yeah to, to go back to so injuries definitely have to play a part because I think that stunts whatever momentum you have in the preseason what however LAFC felt. Um, coming out of Champions League, going into the preseason saying, hey, um, this is probably the last hurrah for this group. A lot of these guys are probably going to be moving on, if not in the middle of the year, um, by the end of the year for certain. Um, let's go and give it everything we have, and let's let's go straight out the gate. Let's, let's fire on all cylinders. Uh, and then you, you simply can't do that. Um, and I know a lot of fans want to say, well, everyone deals with injuries. Uh, the Seattle Sounders – up the way they didn't get to have Jordan Morris, Nico Ladero. I understand that, um, but they're an anomaly. Um, they really are. I mean, uh, 
the fact that they've been able to do that has surprised everyone. There's not a single person that could yeah. could have told me like, oh, they'll probably be fine. This is a salary cap league. You, uh, you know, it's funny when they got five subs. I started to think, what MLS coach is going to look? <laughs> Honestly, at, at sub two, yeah. a lot of MLS coaches yeah. are are out of ideas. Not out of ideas, but they're just thinking, oh god, all right, I'm sending this guy in. See what happens at four and five. Oh wow! So you just imagine, you know the depth of your bench is only so good. And we're going to talk a little bit about formations. I think Bob did the best of what he could, um, which was changing the formation a bit. And I think a lot of it was, and I'm not sure he's ever said it this way, but it's God. I I can't believe that a lot of it wasn't about getting the most amount of talent on the field. Um, So to me though, this team is just a little bit away. And I think the beginning of the year, they weren't sharp. They really weren't sharp. And I, I love your your last podcast with, with Joseph Lowry, just talking about what what's the difference in this team. And I have to actually disagree a, a little bit with Joseph. Um, he was talking about them being a little static. I think that's part of the positional play. I think what the real symptomatic of them looking a little static was not being sharp. Um, and we're, you know, your listeners are, are, are connoisseurs of tactics a little bit and of what teams want to do with the ball. LAFC is never going to be a 95 pass percentage team they don't want to be that means you've yeah. been boring you're going sideways you're going backwards but they were getting down in the low 70s um they just really weren't sharp and for me the positional play is, is almost like an engine it's like pistons one goes up one goes down and if you can't even make that initial you know uh i don't want to mix metaphors i was going to say inbound pass but you know <laughs> that initial pass if you can if you it's actually the, it's a good it's a good corollary, but it's not the right, you know, that just that initial pass into your forward the entry line. Pass. The entry pass, which is, I still think is probably basketball, right? I, that, mm-hmm. I, that's how I've always we'll heard use, it described. We'll use, that, we'll use entry pass. Um, if you can't get that, then the next movement can't go. Um, yeah. Because they need to know the positions that they're in. And there were some other times where they were just silly. Look, I, I look at some of the guys, some of the midfielders um, were pressing, pressing in a different way. They were just kind of a little tight where they were like, God, someone's going to be there. I don't have to look. Whoa. Okay. Let's let's. Yeah. It's early in the year. You you've got some new guys coming in, so I think they've they've weathered that a little bit. Um, but the biggest thing for me, and we can talk about this ad nauseum, is um, one of the things coming into the year that I that I said to uh, I think I said this to Max Bredos on the podcast was, you know what I would like to see is some more match winners. And I know Carlos yeah. Vela is a match winner. Yeah. Uh, I know Diego Rossi can be a match winner. I think that Edward Atuesta can be a match winner on his day, but I need someone else to kind of step up. And I think I feel right now there's a lot of guys that it's not so much that they're waiting around, but they're maybe just kind of playing in the system. And I need a guy every once in a while to say, you know what, forget this. I don't care what's going to happen right here. I'm going to go make this play. I'm going to go run out of position. I'm going to go do this. Um, but, but I will say this in the right moments though. Um, now I don't think the errors have, have been totally out of character. Um, you know, I did a little bit of a thread, which of course this doesn't get any play on Twitter, but I, I've been thinking a lot about mistakes lately. How do we, uh, how do we categorize mistakes? What happens with mistakes? Because look, these guys aren't robots. They're not FIFA players. Yeah. And we ask them to do something at a high level speed, especially in the LAFC team. They go. You have to go from congested areas to open areas to open up teams. You want to use the ball, so we're asking them to do something that's extremely difficult, um, and we expect them to make zero errors. And so I was like, "What? Well, how can we contextualize this?" And I think a lot of the errors 
have been within the system, playing out the back. That's something that we do. Should you have played out of the back in that moment? Maybe not. Should you have done it maybe in a different way? Maybe. So I think a lot of the errors have been within the system, and that's why maybe people are frustrated. There's not, there's not a reason to change personnel. It's just, hey, we need to look at video. That was not at the right moment. I know we talk. This is the principles of play. This is what we do. This was the wrong moment. This is the right moment. These type of things. So I don't see, I honestly don't see a lot of need for change. Um, and I'm going to bring up stats because people love stats. Um, the underlying numbers of this team are actually not bad. Uh, their their uh, shots that they're giving up are actually one of the lowest in the league, which is incredible for uh, an LFC team that people consider is so wide open. Uh, yeah. I hate it when they say that LFC makes so many defensive mistakes because really that hasn't been uh, what has hammered them this season. It's been um, mostly mistakes in possession, uh, mostly mistakes higher up the pitch, actually, and then set-piece defending could could improve. It, I mean, mm-hmm. who could, almost every team could say that, though. Um, but the numbers don't look bad, and you, you just got to hope. The, the one thing that I – the caveat that I keep putting in there is that we can only for so long keep saying, like, I think it's going to turn around. Colorado was that little glimpse. Um, but then it was kind of a step back because it was the same type of things, the airs, the set piece defending. Um, we can only s- so long look at numbers and say, wow, this defense is giving up, you know, just over a goal per game, uh, is limiting shots, limiting the big chances, except for when there's m- big mistakes. Um, and on the flip side, we're actually on the plus in our, in our XG. Like we're one of the better XG teams when, it, when you look at goal differential, how much you're creating versus how much you're giving up. Uh, but yeah, if, if the real life situation, the results don't start catching up to that, um, and, and soon I would say, look, uh, I've been on record with, with, I think probably both of you in chats that we've had, like this four game homestand is, is a big test. And there's, it, still, yeah. there's still two games left in it. Um, of course, everyone wants them to get 12 points to be perfect. I said nine points from it. I don't want to lose any of those games for sure, but nine points I think is, is respectable for a team that's looking to turn it around. So I honestly, I see little tweaks. I don't see big things. The one that I, I don't know how to assess it because I'm not in that room and I've never had this type of experience is how do you, how do you get guys to, to say, to take more responsibility to say, I'm going to step in, in this moment, I'm going to be bigger than this. How do you get guys like cheeky and seafood to understand like, yes, you're young, but you've, you've been through the ringer here in MLS. Now you've also been in a champions league run. Like, you know what you can do against really good teams and you're not showing it. So what, what do you need to do? However you need to turn yourself on, let's see it. Um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is. And I, I think if anyone had that answer, um, it maybe be like a Phil Jackson-esque character, uh, but that's, that's a very man <laughs> management. Master. Yeah. A very Zen thing. And I don't think, um, I don't think that's an easy fix. So that's, that's where it's frustrating. I think for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with the, with the four game homestand thing. I think, uh, I think that's where we're headed. Like you have to, you have to perform well. Otherwise, the the calls are going to not only pick up more steam, but they're going to the, they're going to be more valid because, as you've pointed out several times, um, uh, it, tragically in vain. Like the statistics thing is a it's a long it's a long run thing, right? In the long run, you're going to win these games based on the statistics that you're putting up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the if, if the real results don't match up, then Obviously, there's something flawed in the stats that we're using, but yeah, I mean, and let me be clear about stats. There's a lot of different ways to use stats. Um, in this case, with XG, um, you're exactly right. It's a long run thing. We look at trends. Are you trending to- closer to your XG? 
Um, is your sh and you look at a variety of things too. Like, are you getting a lot of shots on goal? Are you giving up a lot of shots as as you're trending towards your XG? Things like that. Now, the stats that I got in trouble for were using player stats. It's it's not all about stats, and that that's what I was trying to get at with people. And I was trying to be it's Twitter, so I have to be concise, but I'm also trying to do threads and things like that. What I'm trying to tell people is this: there's two ways you can watch a game, and I brought this up on on our podcast. I think I think there's very much the results-oriented way to watch the game, and and there's nothing wrong with the way to watch that game. That's the way most fans should watch the game. They want their team to win. They want to be happy. They get joy from seeing their team win. They get joy from from being a part of uh, a championship team. That's fine. But it's almost a backwards way to look at the game because what you you do, even though you're watching the game forward, is you're saying, okay, the game was three to two. How do I pick my players that I thought did well or did poorly? Well, that was a big mistake. That guy scored a goal. That's an assist. That's fine. That's totally fine. But if you're a coach, you can't you can't live that way because then what are you doing at training the next week? Uh, if you're only saying, well, this guy scored a goal, this guy didn't assist, this guy made a mistake. So what are you training um, the other guys to score more goals? This guy did not make that same mistake anymore. No, you you simply can't do that. So coaches watch have to watch a game forward, and they know that in any match there is thousands upon thousands of events, and soccer is the most random sport there is. At least until we figure out what stats are really, really good. As of right now, we have almost no clue. I mean, you talk about baseball, and you can be a Hall of Famer if you fail seven times out of ten, right? You hit 300, yeah. you're technically a Hall of Famer. Soccer, soccer's failure rate is exponentially higher. Think of every possession there is in a game. There's some two, 200-some-odd possessions, and there's two to three goals. Yeah. So we're talking about a 95% failure rate in every single match. How do we assess that? So It's the statistics, and a lot of them mm -hmm. are getting better. And those are the statistics I like to use. Those are the statistics that your last guest, Joe, likes to use. They're, they're actually very descriptive. They're not quite like, a, oh, that was a hit. Oh, that was a home run. Right, Progressive right. passes are a certain thing. And it tells me a little bit more about, okay, yes, I watched the game. I thought somebody had an okay game. But why did I think they had an okay game? Okay, well, they're a midfielder that I know their job is to stop the other team and also drive their team forward. Okay, so then I look at recoveries. I look at interrupting. I look at progressive passes. And again, this is what I've already seen. I'm not looking at raw data. I'm going back. And I'm just trying to give fans a way that, look, if you want to understand the game more and understand that, man, it is so random. And there's so many things that happen that don't relate to a goal and that you can't immediately pin and know, you should you should look at look at the stats a little bit if you want to expand your, your way of watching the game. I, I do think that's a great way. And obviously the other one is don't watch the ball the whole time. If you can get up, yeah. sit up if you can get a high camera angle, which MLS is not always great at, just try to just see all of the movements and really see what's going on because there is so much that is recordable, that is worth, that is actionable that you can watch that is different than a player missing a pass. A hundred percent. I mean, that's really how you see what the team is trying to accomplish, right? When when the the left back has the ball, for example, which midfielders are getting forward? What's the right winger doing? Is he crashing the near post? Is he pulling off to the spot, or is he simply is he simply parked out wide just to hold? you know, just to spread out the back line more and allow more runners from the middle. Um, it's, it's, but that, that takes a while. It's not something that, that happens overnight. And I feel like if you just watch games on TV too, you, it's hard. Like I, I wasn't able to really start watching games like that. until I, until I really started coaching more and watching from the sideline. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's because you can't always see the ball anyway. You just know, Oh, it's on the other side of the field. So I can't see it, but I see what these guys are doing. But anyway, you know what? Actually, oddly enough, made me 
a little bit better at it was during uh, MLS's back. I watch a lot of the games just on my laptop because I, I, you know, I'd just mm. been moved on from LAFC and I didn't want to like put it on the TV. It was just like too much, a little too much for me. A smaller screen actually made it easier because I, you know, our screens are so big now that we can like see facial expressions. We see how yeah. incredible it is to the guys are doing moves. But when you when you kind of shrink it down, you're forced to take in the whole picture. And the, yeah. again, this is just what I do, but uh, it, it actually kind of helped me to to really start to get an idea of the flow of the game and what else is going on uh, aside from you know five yards immediately around the ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Josh, we haven't heard from you in a while, my friend. <laughs> no, I mean to kind of build on. I mean, like the things that we look at as it pertains to, you know, like what the stats may or may not accomplish, right? It's like things like how much attention does Carlos Vela walking towards the sideline to open up space for Corey Baird to come underneath and make a, you know, and make a a beautiful pass to Rossi, right? How do you quantify that? How do you see those things, right? And it's not until you really take that step, like you're saying, take a step back, stop looking at the ball and some of these different things that you really start to see some of these things come off. But I think in the larger, in like the bigger picture of things, right, some of those stats are leading us in certain directions, right, in terms of what may or may not be happening. And I think one of the things that Kirk and I have been looking at more is heat maps, right, where mm-hmm. where guys are, you know, where we would expect guys to be. And one of the things that we we're thinking about is like how how much movement are we expecting to see guys make in certain spaces, right? Like, because at the, at the same time, you know, we're expecting the way that the team is often described. It's, oh, it's Man City or it's Liverpool or it's whatever, you know, what name X best team in the world. And that's who everyone's trying to compare LAFC to, right? And one of the things we looked at was what, like, Kristen Blackman's position, I think, and Sifu's positioning in terms of where they were making their movements. And it wasn't nearly as high up as we had thought, right? Mm-hmm. It was pinching into the midfield a little bit more, which now puts a more of the onus on the midfield to create if you're not getting down the line to be creators from the outside, right? Which, again, now is going to put that pressure on that midfield to do a little bit more, which, again, sometimes it comes off. And that's where I think, actually, I think K's been a bright spot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, at times, I think we've, when we, you know, and this is where all, the, all this discussion that we've, you know, and some of the, the vitriol that you've gotten has become, has been centered around that conversation about, like, what who is the weak link in in how this thing is going and i don't i think especially as time has gone and kirk and i have been hard and we mentioned this uh, earlier but we've been we've been hard on k in the past in terms of how things have gone and what what this ultimately what it looks like but to me i think at this point he's been the only one that i i feel like has ideas as opposed to as a in terms of how we're supposed to progress the ball into the final third. Mm-hmm. I don't see that from the other side of the field at times, you know, from either Sifu or from Latif in terms of like, how am I supposed to thread this ball in here? You know, like, you know, I K picked the ball up, I think in the, into the channel and just sent a left foot looping ball over the top to an on-running Corey Red. You don't see that from the other side, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more, you know, it feels more mechanical on the left at the moment as opposed to a little bit more flowing on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. But when it all comes together, right, there are these couple things in terms of where people aren't and where we expect them to be. And I think that's one of the things that we wanted to – I mean, we talked about it with Joe briefly. It's like, is – do – you know, are we – is the team wanting more creativity from the flank 
or is it more are we expecting more from the midfield at this point in terms of how how these things are supposed to come off? Uh, you know, I think your reference to, to Carlos and gravity, and we've kind of brought this up way in the beginning, was the injuries kind of derailed this team. You you have a team that um, you know when they when opponents look at a team without Carlos, they say, well, okay, Rossi's a threat to to kind of when we when when we ball watch a little bit like Diego's so good at making that back shoulder run or that in that outside to inside run in between the fullback and the center back um okay well how how can we stop that um and then they look at Baird and they say okay he's great over the top he's probably not going to dribble by you Diego's probably not going to dribble by you much although he's a decent dribbler um and Rossi's actually a, a pretty good passer um but there's no one else running ahead of him right so I think a lot of teams just compress the midfield so well, um, and they just they manage to to change the space and the dynamic. Um, and I think I was critical of the three five two because I thought that the two forwards one didn't complement each other. I thought Diego and, and Corey were two a little bit too the same. Um, mm-hmm. Although Diego did try to find some times where he came underneath as almost like a second striker, but for as good of a passer as he is, I need him on. The, he needs to be on the end of the final pass because he's, he's just such a good finisher as we've seen. Um, and then the spacing was just different. Like I saw an LFC team that just didn't, didn't pin teams quite the same because you started with two guys centrally. Then you, you got two guys really wide. They just, they weren't in the same areas they had been in so often. And we had seen them be so dynamic in, and I know that the principles are still the same. Um, so they, they could still be filling those gaps, but, you know, when your starting spots are different, it's harder to get to the places you're familiar with because you can only go so far, you can only move so much. Uh, like I said, in a positional system, you got to kind of hold your spot. Like you don't just run to run because if you're not there when the guy needs you, you're you're useless. Um, and actually that'll get you sub probably pretty quick because you're not linking play, you're not doing anything, you're just kind of a rogue out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that grab the gravity comment and it just – and, and uh, you guys were great on the, on the last podcast – we talked a lot about it on 110 football, just the, the fact that Carlos can pick up the ball. He has that uh, that balance where like it's almost impossible to get the ball off of him. And then he has the, the presence of mind to say, I know exactly when to release this pass. So he, he just attracts four, five, six guys. I mean, legitimately looking at that Colorado game, there was like seven guys just being like, oh no, if Carlos Vela mm-hmm. comes anywhere near me right now, I'm screwed. And Colorado, I think, made a little bit of a tactical error. They went really hard with their, their center backs as man markers. Anytime somebody's in their zone, those center backs were super aggressive. You can't yeah. do that with Carlos Vela because he, he would cut up the, the left center back, then the, the, you know, the guy in the centrally would have to come over. And even a Bubakar all the way from the right side is now saying like, oh God, do I have to get involved now? And that's when Diego Rossi was like, I'm going to eat. I'm going to feast Time all to day on this. Yep. You know? And so I, I agree with you. Yeah, what, what does this midfield do? Do they create? And you know what? Oddly enough, in that New York game, I thought they were creating pretty well, but we weren't getting a lot of shots off. I don't. I, I have to rewatch it to really see. Um, but if you notice, when this team is kind of humming, they're finding half spaces, um, and they were passing from half space to half. I mean, Mark and Atuesta a couple times were able to pass from half space to half space, and then just kind of play these little small short balls. Um, and I think, you know, so much is made of that zone in between those half spaces, the, the zone fourteen, um, the number ten zone. Half spaces are where it's at in modern football, man, because yep. that zone is not really accessible to teams. So many teams will automatically just shut that down. So if you're getting in the half space, you can pretty much create about the same as you can from that zone 14. You can go wide. Um, you can play a ball through the center. You can play a guy through. You can dink one over the top 
to uh, your, your uh, fullback that's rushing in from a different angle. Um, so they were finding those create those creative spots, but yeah, something was just something was just lacking. Are they asking them to do too much? Possibly. Um, but yeah, when you have Vela out there, it, it definitely helps. And I think, look, he's going to be that much more fit. He was definitely gassed in that New York game. Um, but it, the signs are there. The signs are there. Um, but I, I do agree with you. There's there's something to be something to be looked at in that midfield. Um, and I know we're, I don't want to like give away because we, we talked beforehand what we were kind of going to bring up. But I would say my one piece that I would like to be a little bit better is Sifu. And I know, Kirk, you have a uh, <laughs> okay. uh, somebody somebody that we've referenced. Let's um, fire up the Ross Barkley machine yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go Ross Barkley. Um, but just his bag of tools and his tricks. Um, it's funny to me when people say they want Mark removed and they want Latif to take his spot. Mm-hmm. Latif takes Sifu's spot. I mean, think of your midfield as a, yeah. you know, you got to piece it together. They don't all just do the same thing. Uh, Latif cannot do the things that Mark can do. Um, and I would say Mark generally can't do some of the things that Latif can do in, in tighter spaces when you get really up into that that final third. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, Sifu can. And Sifu can shoot. Sifu can dribble. Um, but in that New York game, I, every single pass that I, I think went to his feet popped up in the air. That's, that's a sign of a guy that's not totally switched on uh, yeah. in, in a game. Yeah, so I, I, I do want to hit that real quick, the, the Latif and Mark Anthony K thing. Uh, and this kind of goes back to what Josh was saying and kind of what we've been talking about. Mark Anthony K is the one, I think one of the reasons that he turns the ball over so much on passes because he's, he, he's going to play that ball. Like he's kind of, he's brimming with confidence a lot of times. And you saw it in the New York game. he's told to play that ball. Yeah, absolutely. That's the ball I'm playing and I, I can get it through there. And you want a player that plays like that. And that's what he's thinking, you know, when he's trying to play out of the back against New York and, and, you know, it, that's the kind of stuff that like when you're teaching people how to play positional uh, positional like soccer that it, it happens you're going to give up goals like that uh and it's super frustrating to see because like why don't you just clear it and it's like well that's not the principle and like you said it earlier about you know in the film room you go back and you say hey that was a wrong decision here because this this and this and again it's frustrating as a fan because you gave up a, an equalizer and then actually was that the go-ahead goal no, that was the or equalizer. Or was the corner? The corner was the winner. Corner was the winner. Okay, so that you give you give up an equalizer, and it is frustrating as a fan to see. But I think I think Mark sees that, and he's he's going to play that ball in between the right back and the and the left center back, or the right back and the right center back. Sorry, um, because that's that's what you're doing, and you know teams are teams are wise to that. They're playing against professionals every week who are well coached, uh, and they're closing down those spaces. So. You can't really fault him for being the aggressive one on the field in that in that case. Maybe he should take some more time on the ball and invite in more uh, more pressure. But like you said, they're not robots; they're not FIFA players, so um, there, there's going to be mistakes. And if that, and honestly, it was it was literally just a bad pass. Um, and as, as I yeah, pointed out, yeah, then a comedy of errors after though. I mean, right. re, rewatch and look. I don't want to hammer these guys, um, but rewatch Edward Atuesta's reaction to that. Um, he, he takes about one step. Uh, then turns his body and throws a foot out. You would, I mean, coaches would kill you at U15 level for doing something yeah. like that. And then you look at where Mario is at the time of the pass. He's standing on a six-yard box, which is about, he was about seven to eight yards mm-hmm. away from Medina, who's the only person from NYCFC in the box. So he doesn't yeah. move. He doesn't move when the pass is, the bad pass is made. Then he finally gets moving after the ball's halfway to Medina. And if he can even close that gap that little bit more, 
can can Medina shape his body and score that goal? No. So that's where again when we talk about mistakes and how you categorize them, I, I think that Bob will go back and he'll definitely be upset. I look the man yeah. gets the mad man gets angry. <laughs> um and I've seen it. And he'll be upset because he'll just he he wants better. He knows that they can be better. But will he be upset that he did something that was out of the ordinary? No. He played from the back. Um it just yeah. wasn't the right moment. And and you could just say it might have even still been the right moment if he would have just played the first pass to Cheeky, who maybe right, Cheeky right. clears it out. You know, like he took one extra move. He would probably never do that. Um, but he's not going to hammer a guy because how can you build a team's identity? How can you build principles of play and then say, oh, no, but not that? Oh, no, but not yeah, that. Yeah. Like these guys have to make decisions, and Bob cannot be controlling them like a FIFA player. He, he needs to give them latitude to make mistakes. Um, and again, we're not, and, but I, I, well, I do want to hammer. We're not just talking about these sharper moments in the end of the field. We're talking about when Mark sees a, an avenue to go forward um, and tries to play in transition and maybe misses a ball. Because how many times have you seen a Liverpool team try to play out to Mo Salah? He doesn't get the first one, but then Firmino picks it up and they're right back on the attack. Yep. These are the principles yep. at play that LFC have because the second best weapon that we have is our counter press. Right. I mean, Mark knows. Hey, in this moment, if we don't get this ball, we could probably win the second ball. And, and, and I, lo- I love Josh's point. He's one of the people that I feel or one of the players that I feel really thinks it through. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. sometimes to his, to his detriment. Um, but I think he really understands the game model. Um, and maybe that's where he, some people, we get some of the, oh, Bob will never drop him. Well, why would he? He's the player that, get, that gets the game model the most. You'll take a little bit of uh, mistakes with a guy that actually will carry out your game model for whatever right. 95% right. of the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is frustrating. It is frustrating, and to hear you say something like game model, like I, I don't know, I don't know how many people truly understand, like that. It's not there. They practice all these situations: what to do when you win the ball here, and the team's disorganized in this way. What to do when you win the ball here, when you turn the ball over here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. That's all thought out. That's all. It. I don't want to say scripted because. You can't Definitely script everything out in the game, but um, yeah, not scripted, the, that's but, where the principles of play are are seen. Um, yeah, I mean, so. they, and, 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 a, and a wide latitude to these guys. Like Bob asks yeah. them to be brave. Hey, know when you can dribble. Know when it's the right time to pass. Know when it's the right time to shoot. And um, Keith Pierce on the Colorado broadcast said something great, and I've heard Bob say this many times at a training. That's a good idea. Can we find a better one? Yeah. So it's reinforcing yeah. that, hey, that's within our game model. And yes, in some moments that might work, but what's, what's, what's something sharper? What's something faster? Yeah. How can we get to go on less touches? That's how, that's what they do. That's kind of their scripting in a way. It's yeah. always, how can we get better? Um, and I think a lot of people don't quite understand that. And that's fine because look, not everyone gets the luxury of going to training or spending hours and hours. Um, and so, and that's why I, why I don't fault people that, that watch things in results based way. But when I'm telling you, though, if you want to expand your mind and you want to see the game from a bigger avenue yeah. and maybe remove, you kind of got to remove your passion just ever so slightly. Um, these are the things that these professionals talk about and they talk about them to like ad nauseum over yeah. and over and over. They're not talking about, hey, if you're in the corner and there's two guys in front of you, just kick it out. They, they would never ever, that would never ever happen. Now, again, to your point, they will go back and in tape say, Mark, look exactly what what you couldn't see because we're, you know, at the high level view that that was maybe the wrong moment, you know? Yeah. So 
I, I, get, I just want to hammer this home to people. Like these are, this is the game model. And you now you could argue with me that they maybe they need to change the game model. I, I don't think that that's a smart idea with the players that they've already bought that are <laughs> that are very much purchased to to fill in the game model. But yeah, to say that you you just throw it out the window and do something completely different. They play a game. I mean, they train four days, four to five days a week. So their game is really actually only about 20, 20 to twenty five percent of their actual time on the field. Yeah. You know? So of course they're going to do things they do all the time. Yep. There's so Josh. I know you want to jump in here. There's something you said that it's like a meta principle that I kind of uh, live by. Uh, so I again, I was a Marine officer for a while, um, and one of one of the Marine Corps like big things, and I might piss people off by <laughs> sharing an example like this, but. Uh, that one of the big things about our style of maneuver warfare is decentralized command, right? This idea that you have to empower people at lower levels to do more, to make more decisions, to act on their own with the information that they have at that time. And so what you said is, uh, I think you said like, good idea. How can we do it better? Uh, we used to, I used to say this all the time to my Marines, like, hey, good idea, poor execution. Like, mm -hmm. I like, I like that you're enterprising. I like that you took some initiative. Uh, another one, like if they took too too much initiative, as I would say, good initiative, bad bad judgment. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I love that you, you you thought that we needed to break this whatever, and you probably shouldn't have thrown it off the roof into a crowd of people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was that was a bad judgment, right? Um, but um, sorry, that's like a that's like a bizarre tangent there. But but that's, that's how a team is built. You build it yes, around individuals. Yes. yes. You want to empower people on the field to make those decisions um, in real time because they're the ones with all the information. Sorry, Josh. No, I mean, I think to build on this, right, I think to kind of move away from tactics a little bit and we look at the roster construction as it pertains to how it all fits because I think both Kirk and I have been of the mind that, you know, this is the the principles that have, that we've been going, you know, that the team has been playing and how, how they approach things is, we're generally dead on in terms of like, you know, like we're supportive of how this is going, right? Like we're not, yeah, those principles of, broke the league. Yeah. We're not of the mind that we need ago. to go to, we need to go to a three man back line or play old, you know, occasionally I'll call for, I need to see four, four, two us men's national team, Bob Bradley style. But mm -hmm. generally I'm not, you know, none of us have been of the mind that we need to drastically change anything dress, you know, to something different. But as it pertains to how the roster has been constructed, right? And, it, and we talk about these things in terms of like, how do we empower, you know, how are, how are the, how is the team empowering some of these guys like Sifu who have all the talent in the world and all the ability in the world to now make those decisions in those moments or, or execute a little bit better in terms of how it's all kind of come together. Has there been a little bit of an imbalance in terms of bringing in a little bit heavy on the speculative on on hoping that guys are going to come in at that are 19, 20, 21 years old. And we all know how all of us were at that age and we're not fully functioning adults quite yet. Right. Um, not that to say that they, those guys aren't, but is there a little bit of an imbalance in terms of having a guy on the field that can now, you know, you know, for example, my, my example is always beta shore, right? Because mm -hmm. I remember being, I, you know, two years ago, I was working with um, Pablo over at Dolly Black and Gold, and I'd gone to Houston to um, to photograph one of the games. And in that game, I was you know down by the field, and you can just and it was the weird game where they had a um, open cup game like right before, so 
Carlos was on was not going to even suit up, and like we were deep into the bench, right? right. That's the and, that's the Mohamed El Manir crazy mm-hmm. goal. Yes, line absolutely, right. Okay. And so you get to that game, and listening to Beta just direct things and control things and talk to guys and really work Blackman through the game was really mm-hmm. interesting, and it feels like that to a certain degree in this current iteration of the roster. Some of that's been lost a little bit because we've, we're so heavy on young guys and guys who are coming in away from their families to a new city in the middle of a pandemic where you can't go back and see your family even during the breaks you know, mm-hmm. that we've had. Has that been a little bit of an issue in terms of, you know, like how do you feel like it's played out a little bit in terms of, okay, e- even though this guy has all the talent in the world and we should be able to see these things come up in that moment, is there a guy that can come over to him and and, and help him out with that? Right? Is there a is there a guy like, um, you know, the example you brought up earlier about was it when we were talking about Atuesta? Um, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Benny Phil Harbor, right? Mm-hmm. Who again, right? Benny's at the end of his career in those in that moment, but is a guy that has all the confidence in the world can now instill that into a guy like Atuesta, into a guy like Seafood to help him through some of these slogs and moments and or in the moment of after you've given up the worst pass of the game, how do you bring it back together and pick everyone's heads up? That's another situation there. And I was talking to Kirk about this before. I honestly think that person is usually Mark, right? In terms of the guy who is the emotional leader of the locker room. But in that moment, you can't be that guy. So it's a little bit tough to now come off and be like, let's go rally when you're the one who made the mistake. Right. So Right. You know, who, is there that? Is there a little bit of that from the roster build perspective? Because I think, from a tactics perspective, we can talk it to death. And but right. it, but we're talking about like the, statistically and in the moment, things are so variable that to to nail down the one thing that's caused all these problems for the, all these games is you know is a bit futile at, to, mm-hmm. to be fair. Whereas some of these things, I think maybe you look at it. Is there little things like that that are affecting things from a, a, a more I think it has to be a concern. Um, I think the jury's somewhat out on it for a couple reasons. Um, uh, just a quick thing on Mark. Um, one of my sharpest comments to him after that game was uh, the fact that he put his head down and went down so abruptly. Um, and to see him off the kickoff then kind of botch a, a touch, it was definitely wearing on him. I understand. I, I haven't been in that position in front of fans to, to do something like that, but you're right. He is a, he is a leader of this team. He has to somehow find a way to kind of forge on. Um, and, but it clearly got to him. It's, it, it weared on him. Um, in a lot of ways that, that, that's endearing. Uh, it's a quality that he really cares. You want them to care. Yeah. I'll say that there's one thing that I, that I, that I've hammered on and, and, uh, I've seen some people say it is like, they'll say people are lazy or whatever. They don't care. Absolutely not. Like just get that out of your vocabulary. These guys care. Mm -hmm. They absolutely care. Um, now where I say the jury's out a little bit, but it is a concern is we did go through that pandemic, right? So it's hard to assess these guys in some ways, because to your point, a guy like Sifu comes out here, 20 years old, he's away from his family, doesn't speak the language, can't go out of his house. You know, it's not a, it's not a normal year. Um, but then we saw something incredible like the Champions League run. And really, you know, the way you would measure that if we're two imbalances okay, well, once the guys kind of get the games underneath them, if, if we can get a team that's, that's talented enough and young enough to get there without that kind of veteran presence, which, you know, you still have Carlos and you still have some, a couple guys out there that are veteran presence, but if they can get to those games, really the only thing that's going to make them experience and become better at that and become 
veterans in a way, veteran without age. I mean, veteran with what they've seen and what they've gone through is to play in those games. So, yeah, I'm a little disappointed when I've seen them actually go through this, go mm-hmm. through playing without Carlos uh, in a weird instance in Orlando and actually look pretty good, despite what people will say about them being knocked out by Orlando. Um, and then when Carlos comes finally comes back, um, yes, they, they, they go out in the playoffs, but they somehow forge an identity to come back together and, and not just beat Liga MX teams, take it to them. Like, show those Liga MX teams that, man, we're not just the old MLS where we're going to sit back and counter. Um, we're going to really take it to you. Uh, and then the, to fast forward to this year, and yes, Carlos goes out, and yes, Diego goes out, but these are things that like they've seen, and no, and no one's there to pick it up. So, you, without knowing, it's hard to say. Like, is the pandemic continuing to wear on these guys the way it did all of us? Like, they, you know, a lot of these guys maybe didn't really get to go home, didn't get to experience their off season the way they would have wanted to. And, and yes, these are going to sound like excuses, but it makes it hard to assess it. A little bit, and I think that's a difficult question for John. He has to really say to himself, "Okay, we bought young guys. We kind of paired them up with with some slightly older guys, but we we were very young. But they played in that, and, and John uses this phrase a lot: games of consequence. They played in games of consequence, and yes, they did not come out on top of all of them, but they've been in them, and they know these the feelings. Um, they know what to expect, and yet we're still not quite getting enough out of them. And yes, it's early in the season, so I would say." Um, that's why I'm saying it's a little bit, the jury's still out for me. Um, if this team can kind of pull something together, um, make a good run, get into the playoffs in a good spot. Um, and then, you know, obviously do well in the playoffs and we'll, we'll all forget about, we even had this conversation, but during the summer window, John has to assess that. Does, do I need, uh, another Benny Failhaber? Do I need a, an MLS vet that, that says, look guys, I know what games are like in August when you've played two two weeks in a row where you have midweek games and you're tired and you need to just get through the you know your Houston point where you just need to get through and coach them but you know I it's maybe those guys stepping up again a little bit because I see a guy like Tristan Blackman he's so young but he he's a veteran to me. he's been around for so long and he's been through so much um you know he's had a he's had a, a Tigris goalkeeper try to throw a ball in his face multiple times uh and it didn't flinch like Kobe uh right. but yeah, I, I'm generally of the mind I, I, I that once the young players play in games of consequence, that they will have grown and you'll have known something. Um, but I, I am starting to lean a little bit of the way where I'm, I'm seeing some signs where I'm thinking, yeah, maybe there needs to be another guy in there, uh, another maybe more raw, raw guy, a different a different type of leadership quality to, to Carlos Vela uh, that can go in there and say, guys, I've, I've done all this. Trust me, we, we can get through this. Um, yeah. So I think... Again, this stretch is important because out of this stretch, that window is going to open, going to open back up pretty soon. Um, I guarantee that they have a short list of people, um, and I'd be curious. I'll be curious to see uh, if if somebody like that does come in because it's not just um, your beta shores; it's your your dios who, in the moment, can yep. can put you on your back. And 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 he he really is a raw raw guy. Like he gets fired up. I mean, they're seeing him on the sideline, like ready to come into that Galaxy playoff game. Oh man, it was like just let him loose, let him just yeah. run wild, um, and he's that type of player. We need kind of more guys that really are that way. And, and again, it's not talking about guys that care; it's just guys that they they show their enthusiasm at a different level. Right, right. I think I, I think more and more people are, are realizing that. I think it's also like this is a this is a new team, right? Um, and you have experienced people involved with with managing it, but um, 
it's a, it's a learning process for them too. And I think, uh, I think under normal circumstances, like kind of like you were saying, Vince, where maybe some more veteran guys that are more comfortable, uh, living in Los Angeles on their own and then get thrown into this weird year where now they're locked in their apartment. Kind of like you talked about with Sifu, right? Um, maybe you're able to weather that storm, but it's kind of like, it's almost like, uh, you know, they, they went all in real quick on, we're going to, we can, we have all these, these good talented, like these young talented players. We can, we can keep bringing them in and they just, they just got caught holding the bag. Right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's the pandemic it. Came um, and some of these guys shouldn't still be here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unforeseen, something unforeseen happened. And it's like, Oh man, now we're, now we're too thin. Not everybody's, not everybody's ready to play whatever it is. Um, and I, I mean, it's, I think it's, that extends to who you're signing for DPs as well. I mean, we've seen them struggle to, to fill that third DP spot that they've used on two young players now um, who haven't really fit, even though every time they're on the field and they touch the ball, you're like, man, this, this guy is special, but like, what mm-hmm. is it that about him that he, that just does not click with this team? Last time you were on, we talked a lot about Raito and, and how he had this, he's, he's just this immense talent, but, he just hasn't been able to fit still. And uh, now it looks like you're going to have to either take a loss or try and move Rossi eventually. So he can get playing time in his actual position at left wing. I I don't, I don't know what you do, but I do feel like it's just one of those learning experiences. And tragically there's not really any way out of it until the transfer window opens and you start making moves. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, this really is a league now where you got to hit. I think I was talking with somebody. They go, you at least got to hit on two and a half of your DPS. So you got to get, yeah. you got to get at least like a, a little bit more production out of out of somebody. Like they can be as talented as, as as all can be like like Brian is. But man, you got to get a little bit of end product from them um, because there there's team there's teams. Uh, I hate to bring them up again. There's teams like Seattle who have a Jordan Morris who's not a DP but playing right. a DP level. That's well, four, LAFC to be DPs. to be fair though has has that fourth DP in, yeah. in Edward out to West. And I think that's one of the tragic things is like you, you had this window of time where you mm-hmm. had, you could have played with effectively four DPs, right? Sorry to cut you off there. No, absolutely. I, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, but it was just that finding that they never seemed to all play that way at the same time. Even yeah. when Brian yeah. was playing good, you know, Brian did have a couple of games where like, I was like, okay, I think he's got this other yeah, guy. MLS is you know, back. He was, he was great. Right. And Carlos wasn't around. So it's like, mm-hmm. ah, back to the drawing board you know yeah yeah all right well uh we we kind of talked about it we kind of alluded to it i do want to get to it before we get to our formation talk uh josh hates him because of everton Mm -hmm. Uh, i think it's the greatest idea mankind has ever had second only to the wheel but lafc should sign ross barkley prove me wrong well i i so when you put this out there, I, I wanted to reach out to you uh, privately because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to just be that downer guy that's like, <laughs> and, and, and blasting you on Twitter. So I reached. I don't want to prove privately. all the trolls right. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> Vince didn't want to do be, what I did, which was yeah, saying this is unacceptable. That was before the trolls. But basically, the first thing I wrote to you was, what if that guy already existed on LAFC? Yeah, and he yeah. was in the the model of what John has been trying to build. And that guy for me was Sifu because everything you were mm-hmm. explaining with Ross Barkley. You were like, look, man, he's rugged. He can hold defenders off. He can dribble. He can play make a little bit. Oh, look, he can shoot from outside. And I'm like, man, you were describing Sifu to a T when mm-hmm. he's on. And when he was playing well, that was him. We need that Sifu back. 
Um, yeah. Now, I, I agreed with you in the sense that, yeah, but Ross Barkley, you know for sure exactly what he brings every week in and week out, where Sifu, some, he's hot and cold. You know, like in the beginning of the season, I thought when he was having to play a little bit of that kind of hybrid, false nine, tip of the diamond, which actually was interesting to me. I didn't think that was who was going to be in that area. I thought it was going to be Latif. Um, right, that, right. That, that seems to be the – but but to the point of what you were making with Ross Barkley is he can make those late he's, – he's, Ross Barkley is like the poor man's Frank Lampard, right? The bursting mm-hmm. runs. It's exactly um, what Josh said. That is exactly, that exactly what Josh what he said. said. And, and that's what – but that's what Sifu can be. And that's what I actually when, – when people were talking for ages about we need a striker, we need a striker, we need a striker, I kept saying, first of all, Carlos Vela is going to start to aggregate more to that number nine. As he gets older – it's just going to, it's a natural progression for a player. He's not going to have the same kind of pace. Although luckily he, he has this weird odd burst of speed where like he, if you bump Carlos, he actually gets faster. And then he has such yeah. good balance that he just breaks away from you. Um, but I, I'm thinking, no, he's going to aggregate more. He's going to play make more as a kind of the, the quintessential false nine. Um, so what, what balance can you get, right? Where, where can you get some other um, bang for your buck? And for me, it was that type of Ross Barkley-esque player, a, a bursting midfielder that just he comes out of nowhere there's there's a wall of guys in front of him next thing you know he still has the ball going through them and it's hitting a shot from from 18 yards out and just putting in the top corner that's why i like it you know the reason why i don't like it is because english players are their price is inflated yep, it's, and it's not they're, even, they're overpriced well yeah it's not even that like he has no sell on after that it's like literally you're paying way too much for him in the first yep, place yeah um but the type of player i have been with you on this for probably a couple seasons now i've i've, I've been very much of the case. You can get a TAM um, winger slash nine or just nine um, that can do a pretty good job. Look, I love Bradley Wright Phillips. Uh, mm-hmm. If you got someone just a year or two y- younger than Bradley Wright Phillips, and uh, you you could easily fill that role, and he showed that he can do it. And look, that's not slagging his talent at all. That's just saying, like, you can plug in. There's guys out there that you can plug in that spot, but uh, a goal-scoring eight? No, man, those are, those are hard to find and you got to pay, yeah. you got to usually pay a pretty penny for those. Yeah. And there's a couple of things. So, I mean, I do agree that Sifu is, is of that same mold. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what Josh was saying. Like Sifu's the speculative guy. Ross Barkley is the guy that you're paying for production. Uh, you're overpaying for production because yes, he's coming from, he's not only coming from, but he's also English himself. Um, so they're just, they're, <laughs> the price is inflated. Like you said, um, but his the, the his ability to finish from distance with both feet, uh, his he's so good on the ball. He can play make all these different things that I talked about. Um, to me, that's what they're missing. I think that's what they tried to get with Andre Horta. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, uh, we all saw these highlights of him scoring from distance in in Portugal, right? And it's like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he just looks disinterested once he's once he's here. So. Um, yeah, I, I do. I do think it's hilarious that you said "poor man's Frank Lampard" because that was what Josh said, like yeah. immediately when I, when you, I man, let him know. We got it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, like as it pertains to English players, I mean, like we've been hearing about Ross Barkley being the next best thing for the longest time. Yeah, and then yeah. he was at Everton for forever, and then somehow ended up at Chelsea and didn't start over yeah. Jorginho, who wasn't really doing much for them at the time mm-hmm. and then still hasn't been able to play got loaned to Aston Villa and you know looks a little bit better but again you're moving you're you're moving down the ladder to look better which says something about probably where you are but in the general context of things right is that profile the perfect person absolutely but 
mm-hmm. I still don't well, like anyone yeah. from Everton. Well, he's, he's the quintessential English player who who does really well at a certain level, which his level is Everton and Aston Villa. Yeah, it's yeah. Brought Chelsea's up too a, big. A, a, a level too high, doesn't do quite as well, goes back to Aston Villa. It, he He's one of those players that, uh, you know, if you look at somebody like Declan Rice, that would be the worry with somebody like Declan Rice. Is he a West yep. Ham player? And West Ham is a, a pretty good team this year, and he helped push them far. But it, if he goes to Chelsea, is can he make that next step? And the um, reason why their valuations are so, you know, overblown is because everyone just takes risks on these guys, and they're just like, eh, we got the money. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ross, give me a call. Give Vince a call. He can hook you up with, with JT. Yeah. Um, You're going to have to lower that wage packet. <laughs> yes, significantly. Yeah. Unless, unless we can figure out an inter-Miami solution. Yeah, right. If anybody out there has somebody that fits that same profile, let me know. Because I, I, I'm interested. Because I, I, I do think this is what, they're, what, they, what they need in, the, in their next DP. Like you said, Vince, I mean, how many TAM strikers have we had that have really unlocked this team? Mm-hmm. from BWP to Dio, uh, Christian Ramirez, even to a certain extent, even though he's missing all those sitters, he, Josh talks about it all the time. I, that he doesn't, has the team ever looked better than that stretch when Ramirez was playing all those games? Like they were yeah. unstoppable. Yeah. Nine um, will get chances as long as you can finish yeah. a little bit and you're, yeah. you're willing to work a little bit, but a guy that can burst forward. And I think, I think one of the profiles we're really lacking is, is another guy that can really do stuff with the ball at his feet and, and not just passing. Look at West is kind of that passer. Um, and in very tight spaces, he can, he can get by guys. He's, he can right. do short dribbles, but a guy that does kind of those 10, 15 yard dribbles and takes guys on one. It's really yes. Carlos. I mean, he, that's who it, pulls, that's who pulls that back line or those defensive midfielders out of position. Mm-hmm. So now Carlos gets the ball and does what he does best, which mm-hmm. is yeah. punish people divert their attention so. for that little bit to get them ball watching. And then yeah. the, the synergy between Rossi and Carlos knowing like when the window is going to come and just yep. hold it for this little bit longer and I'll be able to get free of this guy. They, they just have it linked up so yeah. well. Yeah. Also speaking of a Tam nine that I'm sad that didn't end up at LAFC is my boy, Bobby Wood. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we, we asked, we asked Vince about Bobby Wood last time he was on actually. Yeah, and and he I shot think, us down. I think my worry was his finishing. Yeah, but I his work rate is, is not something to worry about. Yeah. I think I yeah. think he's rugged, I, and he probably will do pretty well. Um, but I, I worry about you know in the same kind of vein as Christian Ramirez, I worry I worry a little bit about his finishing in, in those tighter moments. He did show up to Salt Lake uh, in a black Dodgers hat. Yeah, probably not a good start for Josh, him out there. So I'm just saying it was meant to be. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, I feel like we've we've gone through the team. We've already taken an hour of your time, Josh. We did, uh, Vince. Sorry. Um, no, Josh is a star here. Today. I don't care I'm about Josh's out. time. <laughs> but kind of the genesis of this whole thing was uh, Al Hopkins at Culver City Al tweeted at the at the two of us asking us to go through the top four formations in world football, and this is a this is a big undertaking. So mm-hmm. Al, we're going to give you uh, the Cliff Notes version for sure. Uh, Vince and I, go ahead. You got something. Well, I was going to say. I mean, look, formations are—they are what they are, and they really. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of what formations are are just how you set up against the opposing team because your shape in offense. Almost everyone goes for somewhat similar shape in offense, at least the high-level teams. So, um, yeah. most of the low-level teams will play in a certain way, and then they'll just kind of counterattack. So it's not really about positional play. It's not really about formations. It's about right. how can we be sharp in this moment. 
Um, but that's so that's why it's fun to talk about formations, but it's also dangerous because any if yeah. you were to bring this up with like a, a coach, a high level coach, they would be like, I they would leave. They just nope, yeah, peace yeah. out because they would know that right. we're not going to get quite the nuances. So we'll do our best to to share that nuance because again, it's it's really about roles now, not so much yeah. about formations. Yeah, it's about so I mean to take a very simple um, a very simple example is you play with five verticals, right? Which players are in which vertical? Are you playing with an in, are you playing with inverted wingers in a four three three where you want your wingers in the half spaces and you want your fullbacks pushing forward into the into the wing like the the verticals on the wings or do you play with traditional wingers and you want your midfielders stepping up or I mean it's obviously more intricate than that that's still oversimplified for what these mm-hmm. coaches are doing like you said but um, so much of it is who occupies the space, what players do you have on your team that, that do that. And I think as we talk about some of these two, it'll it'll come clear like, all right, well, who do you want on the ball dribbling at defenses? Um, so anyway, uh, let's kick it off with the 4-3-3. It's, it's what LAFC run. It's kind of the gold standard, especially for positional play. Um, Vince, what do you got about the 4-3-3, my friend? You know, oddly enough, we're talking about this and um... – John Mueller, who does a, a newsletter that I subscribe to called Space, 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 who actually had mm-hmm. Bob on, interviewed Bob, um, um, which was great. Yeah, it was um, a good interview, yeah. Yeah, he was talking a little bit about how actually the four three threes maybe it's like moving towards this now uh, new 3-4-3, right? Mm-hmm. But, it, mm-hmm. but the four three three is this. It came about, or I shouldn't say it came about because of, but it's really good at pressing. Pressing and counterpressing. Why? Yeah. Because you have a maximum amount of people in the middle part of the field. When you press or you counterpress, generally you want to steer people towards the middle of the field or set traps so that basically you you the four three three automatically has four guys ready to attack the ball, assuming that your nine is not worthless and just standing up top. Yeah. Has four yeah. guys that are can, can converge on the ball at any moment, win the ball back, and then you have these days usually inverted wingers that are high up. Um, and then can go right back into transition. And that has been so much of the game lately uh, is pressing in transition. Which which side of the coin do you fall on? How do you want to use it to your advantage or stem the use of it against you? Um, and so that's why 4-3-3 has become such a big thing because physically you need three midfielders that are going to be able to be pretty rangy, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't have natural width in midfield. So if a if a 3-4-3 comes at you or even a 4-2, You've got to find ways to really get out to that winger or to that fullback, and you've got to have midfielders that are um, that are rangy. So if you, like watch an LAFC game and just notice how it's usually Mark or Sifu who really have to that if that initial ball goes out to the channel or goes wide to the touchline, they're the ones that have to provide that that first line of cover, and they they bust to get over there. And when they don't, Bob's pretty on Bob's on them for not because it it yeah. gives teams time to to find an open man and then to dictate play. But if you can always be quick to that side and it's tough and i think this is when we're going to get into now the the kind of change why teams are changing more um it's tough to do uh when teams are always trying to switch the ball yeah yeah i I mean you start playing over that midfield instead of instead of through it uh where like you said their teams are funneling you into the middle to set that trap and then and then spring it on you um once they win the ball right that that's that's lafc to a t Mm-hmm. funnel you into the middle, win the ball. Mark Anthony K plays that ball right onto Diego Rossi's feet, right? That's, that's, that's it. Um, 
a few other things like some some simplified things about the 4-3-3. Pep used to talk about how he wanted his wingers to push as high and as wide as possible to occupy the fullbacks and open up space underneath. Um, that's a big part of it. And then your own fullbacks pushing forward. Sometimes it helps, I think, to think of the the 4-3-3 almost as you know, in possession, you're setting up in the circle with your fullbacks pushed high, your wingers pushed wide. Again, it, in a traditional sense, mm-hmm. not necessarily an, an inverted winger. And your midfield three, like you said, are rangy. They're this engine uh, that are going to keep the ball moving from side to side to side to side to side um, in like almost what is a circle, right? You have You have kind of players all around the edge. From your center backs all the way up to your striker, they're they're just they've circled the field to spread everybody out. And now your midfield is moving the ball around and trying to probe the defense, right? Yeah, um, the the point about pinning offense, uh, you know, your opponent um, is a big one. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because for me, that was kind of the point we talked about when we saw the LFC three five two was like yes, I didn't exactly, feel like exactly. They were able to pin them in quite the same way, and the the four three three just is so natural where your starting points are. You've already got the guys in those channels, in those five areas, and they can also easily rotate in that. Whereas in the in the three five two, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more intricate the way you got to. You work need your wingbacks to, to really push forward. This is something that Josh has talked about a ton. Is your wingbacks? They can't be. They can't just be like outside midfielders. They have to be wingers mm-hmm. uh, more often than not, because uh, otherwise you're so narrow at the top that teams can just pack it in. Josh, what do you got on the four three three? Well, I mean, that's that's always been the difference between you know the Klopp version of the four three three and the Guardiola one, right? Whereas the Guardiola, mm-hmm. where you have the De Bruyneers and the and the David Silvas and the Gundogan this year, right, operating in the half spaces because those guys are amazing in terms of their service and the delivery, and then you have Fernandinho or Rodri at the base of it, just breaking everything up, right? So you have that mm-hmm. destroyer when you're pushed up into a essentially like a two two three five right in possession or something crazy like that where yeah. everyone is pushed up super high but <clears throat> right Guardiola doesn't really use their fullbacks up nearly as high but then because of the amount of congestion that you often get you know like and that you see that with LAFC right teams just sitting in a 4-3 4-2-3-1 four, with the center defensive mids just kind of sitting in between and formed in like a bank of six right how do you break through that Right and the salute and people were just clogging that up and doing those different things and that's where LAFC I think have found a little di- difficulty in terms of breakthrough that park bus right Jose yeah. Mourinho right famously right who's parked the bus in front of Guardiola let him try to open it up right but then you had Klopp who now changed it a little bit and then now you have that service from the fullbacks pushing out wide there your creative force where you have the workman midfield where you have you know Jordan Henderson for you know, people forget before he was nominated for player of the year was a guy that everyone in Liverpool hated, right? He was the Gerard apparent, you know, heir apparent that didn't do anything that Gerard did, right? Yeah. He, you know, but he was really good at passing sideways and and getting out into space. But what he does best is as Trent pushes up high and provides that service, he's now in that, in you know, covering that width and taking care of that width the way you were saying that Sifu and Mac do really well, right? And, and covering mm-hmm. underneath it. And that's where I think some of you know, like as it pertains to the LFC, right, where we where we are missing a little bit. Right? You want that narrow, that narrow forward line because they're so good in that space. But with teams collapsing, it do we have the width coming from, you know, coming from the fullbacks and the service coming from the fullbacks to now counteract it? You know, I think that's where there's a little bit of a you know sometimes we don't 
there's a there's a difference between the two, but it's not the bl- lines are often blurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's par- it's partnerships. You know, um, Bob talks about this so often. There's little partnerships, and I think the two to look at, um, and obviously the Colorado game is a, a good game to watch because it's a win. <laughs> uh, it's fun to watch, but just watch the way Tristan and Carlos navigate the yeah. who is narrow, who is wide. Um, and I would argue that some of the, you know, some of the reason why LFC has struggled is because someone like Chiqui Palacios has struggled, um, hasn't mm-hmm. found a way to create that same type of relationship with, with Diego Rossi on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I want to say about a four, three, three, um, is you, you need a really strong defensive midfielder as, as your single pivot, if that's the way you're going. Um, otherwise you're never going to build out unless, unless you have center backs that are incredible on the ball and able to play through pressure. Uh, it's where the USMNT gets it wrong. I think, especially like you, a guy like Jackson Ewell or Kellen Acosta just isn't quite there at the international level to, to work as that single pivot, mm-hmm. but it's creating um, angles. Yeah. I watched yeah. That's what drives me the most crazy with the USMNT. And actually yeah. it was more apparent even so with, uh, with the Olympic qualifying was like, the amount of time the six was running around, and I'm like, "What are you doing? Yeah. Just find yeah. an ankle and stay there." Right. But they, right. but they just keep running and running and running. It's like, oh mm-hmm. god, oh god, no. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Vince, you kind of already got into the three-five-two there. Um, do you want to take it away on that one? Yeah, I mean, three-five-two. Honestly, this is the most like it's it's the reactive. Um, it's yeah. become popular because some it's people. It's so in vogue it. right now. Yeah. It's so in vogue, but and it's winning things. Um, but it really is. Uh, a natural reaction to to the four three three, it's it's natural width, um, and to your point that you brought up earlier, is teams are now finding players that can send that diagonal ball um, and have no problem doing it. Like, fine, we'll do it. We don't even care because one, if it messes up, we're probably in good sp- spaces to defend transition yeah. because just naturally yeah. we're set up in a way with three with three center backs, um, and when we lose the ball, we'll probably be somewhat in and around it. Um, but if they can't defend it um we'll have an open man we'll know we'll know automatically where the open man is because the the open areas in the in the four three three formation are always with it always is so either they find a way to the better teams they find a way to not just hit it right um the chelsea's and stuff that they can be intricate where they slow the play down with Jorginho, and then he's able to be kind of that relay guy that then finds it then he's the one that hits it but you know even liverpool it's funny from a four three three does this a little bit they'll switch from fullback to fullback. Um, yeah. So teams are yeah. teams are not afraid anymore to just switch. Um, and that was one of the things um, with LAFC. I asked Bob, well, if Carlos comes back, you, you're not going to play a 3-5-2 with Carlos, right? That makes no sense. And he goes, well, we could. He goes, but, but you know, the principles don't really change going forward. A lot of what we do in the 3-5-2 was um, to disrupt the opponent. And that's where yeah. it kind of clicked for me. It meant, okay, that makes so much sense. Against a Galaxy team who really were showing that they have no problem with one pass switch, one pass yeah. switch. Um, a Seattle team who definitely has shown that they love to do that because they're already set up with the width. Um, they love to overload a side just to sucker you in and throw it to the other side. So that made sense, I guess, in those games. I just, I just didn't, I didn't love it. I mean, it's hard to, it's yeah. hard to change it. The principles are the same, but just the starting, again, the starting points for me. Um, that's the hardest thing in, in these uh, either three, four, three or, or three five two is your wing backs. Where do they start? Yep. Do they start from deep? Do they start higher up? Do they confront the team higher up? That's where if you get that wrong, you'll you'll get killed. Yeah, I, I think um, this is one of those where 
one of the one of the clever things that you can do in that three five two is kind of like you were saying, especially against the four three three, is you can you can bait those fullbacks in the four three three to stepping higher and higher and higher. And now all of a sudden you have, you know, let's take Chelsea for an example, you have that switch to Mason Mount or whoever it is that's that's running into the space that's vacated by the fullback because your wing back uh has has messed around with that with the opposing fullback enough to pull him out of position. Um there there's still there's it's it's for me the problem with the three man back line is everybody everybody says, oh well it's a more defensive format or you know, you get more attackers into it because you now you're only defending with three. Like you said, where are the starting positions? Because oftentimes those look like a back five. So essentially you're sacrificing your six for another center back, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think one of the things that people don't appreciate enough is how good a guy like Antonio Rudiger is. Yeah, you gotta have great center carrying I mean, the ball past past defenders. Like mm-hmm. he can carry the ball. He's perfectly capable of carrying the ball uh it well into the midfield, finding a pass, playing it, and then getting back into position before anything happens. Uh and if you don't have that in both your right and your left center backs in a in a three man back line, you are you are done. Mm-hmm. It is going it's gonna be a it's gonna be the USMNT, right? Yeah. When they started that way against Mexico. Uh like you saw team Tim Ream struggle with it because he's not able to get around people. He can't recover fast enough. And you saw Mark McKenzie trying to play, uh, trying to play out of the back in, in, in different angles than he's used to. Um, so anyway, that that's one of my biggest things is what team has three center backs that are capable of being not only being in that Livero role right in the back, but also the two that are in charge of advancing the ball, whether on the dribble or, or with a pass. And I would say for Rudiger, the other thing that he does so well is understanding when he can leave his two center backs and say, okay, at this moment, if I press on in this play and I win this yeah. ball, it's going to ha- the risk reward. That's another thing we yeah. don't talk about a lot. We talk about mistakes and stuff. These guys are making snap judgments on risk reward in just in, in instances. Um, and for a lot of teams, for high level teams, teams that want to win, teams that want to be proactive, they're actually actively pushed that way to, to yeah. take things and understand that there is a risk to it. But in this moment, I've got my two teammates behind me and they can clean up if necessary. But again, so many people watch the game and just expect a perfection. And it just does not, it literally does not exist. I have never seen a perfect game and I don't think we ever will. Yeah. Yeah. So what you, what came to mind when you talked about Rudiger knowing when to move forward, right. And his ability to play the ball is Pulisic's goal against uh, against Real Madrid, right? That's Rudiger stepping into the midfield and just lofting this ridiculous pass, especially mm-hmm. for a center back, but I mean, really for anybody, yeah. Into uh, onto Christian Pulisic's feet as he's running past the back line, like that is that stuff that I mean, obviously, is capable of winning the Champions League. It's the, it's the highest level of, of playing center back there. Josh, what do you got on three five two before we move on here? No, I mean, I think the biggest thing is right. It's it's. As it pertained to LAFC, right, it just felt uncomfortable, right? And then the yeah. amount of space that you have to make passes and, you know, you saw it at, were on McKenzie's pass, right, in the U.S. national team game, right? Like, I think he just realized he didn't have nearly as much time as he, as he thought he did to make that, to make that pass with a, with a guy yeah. pressing, right? And I think that happened in not the, the Tristan, in I think the Seattle game, there was a game where he made just a weird pass, I think to start one, or maybe it was the Galaxy game, where there was one he was trying to play out from that back, that back right, you know, mm. the, that right center back spot, 
and I felt like it just didn't feel like he realized what the angle was because again it's just like you were saying it's just a starting point right if you're so mm-hmm. used to being in tight or out wide right you're expecting to have a different amount of time to make a play mm-hmm. or to make a pass there and it just didn't feel like it came off right so I mean again yeah. for, for what we're looking at here right it doesn't feel like the person the personnel fits what we want to do mm-hmm. and let me just tag this real quick let's not forget it, I like where you said they just felt they just seemed uncomfortable I mean I think that's ultimately probably the best way to explain but let's also not forget they were actually also pretty good um in the three five two i mean they they yeah. battered the galaxy um that first half against seattle like their pressing was unreal i'd never seen them really make seattle that reliable but the problem was they yes they weren't comfortable enough to take advantage of the things that they did well especially against seattle i thought seattle they created so many instances where they won the ball 30 to 40 yards from seattle's goal and didn't even get a shot out of it yeah. like you got to at yeah. least be work on the goalkeeper um and maybe that's a maybe that's kind of the the overarching thing on lafcc lafc season so far is like this is a good team that is not capitalizing on chances and as a result the margins are so thin that these errors are now becoming that that's exactly worse. it that is exactly it vince yes i, I i'm 100 there with you like they they're not letting any goals in right? right they're they're really good defensively um, but they're scoring so little that if you give up one, you're liable to lose the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick on that, I, I do think in terms of center backs, the first three that LAFC have are capable of doing this in MLS. Like Segura can play left center back just fine. We've seen him uh, play in the midfield comfortably. We've seen Blackman comfortable all over the right the right flank uh, and in the midfield. And Mario can chase down anybody. Like he's you know, I, I would back Mario one-on-one with just about anybody in MLS. So, Mm -hmm. uh, the problem, like you said, Vince is who's going to capitalize on these goals. They don't have, they don't have the personnel to run a two striker system. Um, I think maybe Rossi could be one of those strikers. If you had somebody knock the ball down, or, uh, I think even, uh, Brian Rodriguez could be, uh, kind of a second striker guy, but he needs somebody, uh, in front of him. And then, you know, who are the, who are the creative people in that, in, you know, the, the, the wing backs and the, uh, and the attacking midfielders that are going to give you those chances, but mm-hmm. all right, we're trying to get you out of here, Vince. I promise. I know it's getting late. Uh, well, um, we talked about the four, two, three, one, right. Is that the other one we we're going to talk about? Uh, we can quickly, four, I mean, two. really, we'll, let's, let's uh, touch quickly on the four, two, three, one. Cause honestly, it really is just a change of the four, three, three, right? Right. Um, I, I, a hundred percent. And a change of the four, four, two. It was just a way to, to, uh, accompany a number 10 and do him, put him yeah. into a, put him into a role that he could play well. And you know, it's actually turned into this interesting thing. Cause now teams are using kind of like a, a hybrid 10 in the middle and their real 10 is out wide. Cause they're finding, yep. he can come yep. in and have spaces. That's kind of what LAFC started with, um, for, for certain stretches. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, again, that's, this is what we're talking about when we talk formations. There's just these little tweaks of, of actual thing. I mean, they're almost all the same, just slightly different. And yeah. Yeah. You, you would say, I think the biggest one is, is the three, five, two, because you have to have three center backs. Yeah. All the other ones though, pretty much you can kind of plug and play with the pieces that most teams already have. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people calling again, back to the, this is a very U S centric show, everybody. I'm sorry. l fans that are also LAFC fans. Uh, and listen to our rinky dink show. Uh, but Weston McKenney could easily just work like he could work more as a double pivot. And essentially you're playing, you're playing a four, two, three, one, uh, where Reyna and, and, and 
Pulisic are coming back to get on the ball more frequently on the wings. Um, mm-hmm. And th- like that's that it can be that simple. It doesn't have to be, we have two dedicated sixes and that's how we play our double pivot. It can be just an eight coming back more frequently when the, when the timing's right. So, all right. The four four two. I think it's appropriate to talk about this during international break because that's kind of like the standard, right? It's the old trusty, uh, Josh mentioned it earlier with Bob, um, but so many so many international teams do play the four four two because it's kind of this gold standard. Mm-hmm. Take it away, Vince. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it gives you um, a lot of things that you're looking for. Again, all these formations are kind of looking for the same type of things. You're looking for ways to to help your team build up. You're looking for ways to create um, basically openings in between the lines. You're looking for width. Almost mm-hmm. every formation naturally kind of wants some width. Um, although some do it better than others, I would say the four-four-two is one of those that does it better than others. Um, yeah. And you want to defend. You want to also then de- in the reverse defend those things. And again, I think formations more so than anything are in your defensive shape, um, really. Because mm-hmm. listen, what we've been talking about, almost all kind of the, the defensive shape. The four-four-two has gotten this kind of like rebrand though lately because of this variation with the three-five-two where uh, my favorite team, Juventus, does this. I don't know if I totally love it um, with the personnel they have, but they have, they have that player that ostensibly was a fullback but can maybe no longer get up and down the field so much but can play a little center back too. Um, and you basically you build out of a three. Um, and mm-hmm. it's Danilo for, uh, for Juventus who plays on the right. He doesn't get forward much. He either pinches in like a Pep Guardiola-type fullback to help uh, – you know, fight against transition, or he's the guy that helps the three build. Um, and essentially, yeah. essentially you get uh, a guy that his his partner on that side, that that right uh, midfielder, is almost always going to be a wide, wide player. He's going to stay so close to that touchline because you know Danilo is not going to run up that touchline. He's going to either tuck in or, or provide, you know, counter space. And a lot of teams are kind of doing this now. So it's like it's a lopsided formation um, when the 4-4-2 essentially was really the most symmetrical formation that we had for the longest time. Yeah. So it's weird yeah. that old things are new again, and, and they found ways um, to change it up. And I think, um, yeah, it's interesting that in an international break, we're talking about 4 because a lot of, uh, I think international teams are kind of seeing that as a way to be a little bit dynamic um, in the way they build. But then, you know, the go-to, the, the gold standard will always be to sit slightly lower in a 4-4-2 because it is the, the absolute hardest thing to break down. Yeah. Yeah. It feel, it fills all those spaces that you want to be in so, so effectively while providing uh, and oftentimes a little with two bit. people. Yeah. While providing a little bit where you still have two forwards up top. Let's put, let's put, right. So they can, uh, but I mean, they can run around as, as teams are, are circulating the ball and hassle them enough. And mm-hmm. then, I mean, it's a matter of, can we counter attack like Atleti? Probably not, but we'll give it a go. Why not? Uh, Josh, what do you got on the four, four, two? I mean, I think in terms of stability, right, it's the one that you feel like you can just sit back. You can, like I said, it covers all the, it provides all the stability that you want. Um, it's interesting because you see, like, the way that, like, like for example, like Tim Ream was playing on Sunday, right, with you know, on that left-hand mm-hmm. side where you're, you're not really getting up, right, kind of like what you are saying with Danilo, right? It's like he's not a guy that you're expecting to get forward, but it provides enough cover that you're expecting your left midfielder to now just go bombing whenever you need it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there, but with everything, right. It, it's one of those things where even out of a four, three, three, if you sit your, 
your defensive, your six in between the two center backs, you're in a three, four, three, right? So mm-hmm. how much mm-hmm. of it is starting points? How much of it is just what, you know, the, where you need to be? I mean, we see Atuesta drop in between to pick up the ball on occasion. And then, so now you're in a three, four, three and build up when we're in that four, three, three, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of it just depends on based on who you're going up against, what, what is now going to cause the most amount of problems? Like you were saying about Bob wanting to go into that three five two in, in terms of that closing down that space. I think often because you're trying to conserve Carlos Vela's stamina throughout this early stage of the season, and so on and so forth. Right? We've seen LAC drop into that four four two mid block, you know, every now and then, as opposed to that super high press all the time because you know you don't want him chasing chasing the ball or it's a, a press that's only triggered if it goes to specific areas of the field you know where at least if now you're in that 442 bank when when that opportunity is there right now you at least get vela and rossi up the field higher in space mm-hmm. with with room to run so you know i mean yeah i think there's there's definitely advantage to it it's boring at times right i mean it's the the complaint about bob when he was the national team coach was just that right you sit in this bank you know, and then Klinsman came in and tried to throw it into that four four two diamond and broke, you know, basically broke everyone's minds. And here we are. Well, Bob has Bob has railed against this though in the past, and I do slightly agree with him on this. He said, "If I would have called it a four two 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 two, everyone would have thought I was a genius." Yeah. And he broke it down for me because he he's like essentially I had two players that played so well from outside to inside in Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan. You mean, you mean the GOAT and Landon Donovan, right? The GOAT and Landon Donovan. Why wouldn't yeah. I set them up in a way? And he's like, and I know everyone wants to use empty bucket. He's like, fine, if I want to make jokes. But like, why wouldn't I set them up in a way that we could yeah. be rigid and then I could get the ball to my best players to, to basically get into space, come from outside to inside, and then either thread through somebody like a Josie Altador or take it themselves. And it, it makes a lot of sense. And I look, I know I'm going to get a lot of, uh, pushback from people for being a Bob apologist uh, already. Um, but when you hear him talk about these things, it, it's like, it just, it opens your brain just like that little bit more where you're like, oh, I never thought about it. I think this is why I love your guys' show because we need more shows that actually touch on this. Because so many people, when Bob was the, the manager of the national team, would never push back on that. They just said, yeah, empty buckets, fun. Let's all say it. Like, let's, let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like if you guys existed back then, like, you would have been like, well, what are they doing different? You would have listened a little more and watched a little more. So that's why, again, I, I appreciate what you guys doing and trying to bring, you know, guys like Joseph on here and just the way, again, the bigger, the bigger thing that I want to, to express to people and even the ones that don't maybe like me per se on Twitter is like, I'm not here to tell you what you're like. I get it. If you lose a game, go lick your wounds, go drink with your buddies. You want to get mad for a little bit, but mm. show up on Monday or Tuesday, sorry, when, when Max and I put out our podcast and, and show up with some ideas, man, show up ready to yeah. like expand your brain a little bit. And and I think that's what you guys do. And, and um, I think a lot of the podcasts do it, but you guys are more of the tactics, tactics, podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it's such a, a valuable service and look, you don't have to change your mind completely. You can still hate the team, be mad that they're losing, but I think it just opens an avenue to watch the game in a little bit different way. Um, yeah. to, to see a little bit and just, for me, that's when the game gets simplified, but also more beautiful. The more simple it gets, the more I understand what the mechanisms are, the more beautiful it gets for me. Yeah, I think I think it helps if you understand the ideas that they're trying to hit, then and you see them hit on those ideas every once in a while, even though it doesn't end in a goal, like you said, because it, goals are incredibly infrequent in this sport. Um, then it it's not it's I 
it's not that you win. It's not like a moral victory. It's just that like you understand, Hey, what some of the ideas that they're trying are coming off. Mm-hmm. It's just there. It, the ball didn't hit the back of the it's, net. That it's time. that holding two opposing things in your mind at yeah. once. It's the true value of, 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 you know, of a thinking man, thinking man or woman. Yes. Results matter. Ultimately you don't win. You get fired. You, you know, you need trophies, but at the same time, if you have a team that is doing something that's interesting, you got to You got to give a little bit of a thought to it, and because the yeah. season's long, man. Uh, look, in one-off games, again, I understand results matter. It's a one-off game, but we're trying to expand this over the course of a season. Look at trends. Look at things that are going on, because that's the things that interest us. And I don't know. I just hope that other people kind of start to start to see that. Um, of course. When when I get in my uh, my long Twitter tangents with people. Yeah. All right, Vince. Well, you've been with us for an hour and 32 minutes now. We rarely record this long. So thank you so much for sticking with us. It's Al's fault. Uh, he wants formation talk. <laughs> That's a great question, Al. Uh, so um, thank, thank you so much for for being so generous with your time and, and coming on and, uh, and for fighting the good fight. Um, so Vince, let everybody know where they can find. Again, I feel like this is so dumb because you're bigger than us, but where can got, we find you? Come on, man. I got a plug. Uh, no, look, I, I'm at LAFC Vince. Obviously, I do the podcast with Max through LAFC, so I have mm-hmm. not part of the club anymore, but still part of the club. It's a weird thing. Um, and then we do 110 <laughs> football, which is uh, Friday afternoons, usually but between noon and one. That's on LAFC's YouTube channel. So, look, if you're already subscribed to the LAFC's YouTube channel, you get my show, which has a little bit of this, has a little bit of fun, has a yeah. little bit you know, of of creative stuff in between so it just we can be silly we can be serious um but check it out and also uh we do uh i do the virtual tailgate if anybody's on the app and you can't make to the game you can check us out getting you ready for the game and then immediately after we do a little bit of uh um just emotional talk we just talk it out uh lately that's what it's been hopefully we can do happier talks after the game uh starting very soon 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 we'll get there all right you can follow the show at counterpress underscore josh lafc josh on twitter There it is. You can follow me at Kirk Kinsey. We will talk to you all probably next week before the end of the international break. And hopefully, like Vince said, get back to talking about some wins here pretty soon. Good night.